the Lord is all we need. Amen? And he is the Lord who provides. He is Jehovah Jireh. Good morning and welcome. I'm so glad that we can have this time to share together. And let us turn our thoughts to the Word of God now as we can turn, continue in worship. Let the Lord lead us in worship through his words. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible, if you would, now this morning. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3, if you would. Proverbs chapter 3. And if you're using the, the Bibles provided for you there, please turn, if you would, to uh, page 528, if you're using the Bible provided. But we are in Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me, if you would, for a reading of God's Word right now. Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to read together verses 5 through 10. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 10. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. And now, Lord, as we come, Open our hearts, our minds. Reveal yourself in all of your great glory. What an awesome God you are. May our hearts be attentive to your Holy Spirit. May we rejoice as we think about your greatness, your goodness, and your kindness to us in Jesus. And Lord, may you use your word to send out your light and your truth and lead people to your holy presence. And I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart in this hour, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. What a beautiful song, Lori. This led us in. Christ is all we need. He is all. It's wonderful to have a God that you don't have to say, well, I have God and. <laughs> really, it's in the and that is our problem. That we think that God sometimes is not enough. In the reality, he is enough for every situation. And so we can trust him. And we're in a series talking about trusting God, trusting God, a stewardship reformation. Now, we've been talking a lot about the reformation uh, this year here at West Park, especially since back about, oh, the first of June, as we are seeking to make sure we know the importance of being reformed on the word of God, that we be a, a, a church, that we be a people 
that are constantly aligning ourselves with the Word of God because it is so easy to drift, isn't it? And so we've taken stock of how God has shown His truth and reformed His people through the ages, especially as we look back at what we call the Great Protestant Reformation. We took time to do that. And then we've taken some time this fall to say it needs to be not just historical, something that we recognize and we celebrate as God's people, but that we also experience it personally. Personal reformation that we are seeking as we follow Jesus to be reformed, to be realigned constantly on his, his path for our life. Personal reformation. So we've taken time to think about that this fall, even as this past week was the 500th celebration of the Reformation. But there's an interesting statement that was made by some of the reformers, not the reformers out of Germany, the reformers out of France, but reformers from Holland. They used a statement, Semper Reformanda. Semper, Semper Reformanda. What does that mean? Always reforming. Always reforming. And what they were trying to communicate that is that as followers of Jesus, we have to be constantly reforming ourselves to the Word of God. Reforming ourselves, realigning ourselves on the standard on the principles of God. Now, my question is, why does there need to be such a constant challenge then for us? And I hope we're receiving it as a church and as Christians here. Why should there be such a challenge about constantly reforming? And brothers and sisters, the reason we need this challenge about constantly reforming is because we are under constant pressure to conform rather than be reformed on the Lord and his word we are under constant pressure aren't we to be conformed to the world and its ways and its values and its manner of living Paul warns us about that doesn't he Paul said in Romans chapter 12 stop Letting the world press you into its mold. Now, many of us will quote that in our Bibles, and it's true. Be not conformed to this world. But literally, it means stop letting the world press you into its mold. So what happens to a Christian who just goes through life in neutral? What happens to a Christian who just takes day by day, life as it comes, what happens? We are pressed, maybe imperceptibly, unnoticeably, but we're pressed into the world's mold, not into the pattern of Christ and Christ-likeness. And that's the reason we have to be constantly reforming, realigning ourselves on Scripture. How am I doing? How are we doing? 
Is this the way of the Lord? Is this God's mind? Is this God's path? We have to constantly ask the Lord to help us through his word and through the influence of other believers to keep us aligned on his way. Now, my friends, there are no two seasons of our year. There are no two seasons of our year that give us more opportunities to reform and liberate ourselves to joyful generosity than the seasons of Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's the reason we're talking about reforming the holidays, reforming Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is about something more than eating yourself into oblivion. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not sin. Don't do all that. I don't think that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just we get so wrapped up in the bowl games or whatever's going on, and it's Thanksgiving. We need to reclaim and reform Thanksgiving. We have an incredible opportunity to do that. But also, we have an opportunity as we think about Christmas and what it means. The birth of Christ, the advent of our Savior, our Deliverer. We have those opportunities for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Reforming our lives through these holy days. But we also have opportunities at this season of the year in Thanksgiving and Christmas more than any other other, to conform ourselves and to enslave ourselves to the madness of materialism in this world. There is no seasons of the year that there is greater pressure on God's people to live and think like pagans than what the world has done to our sacred holidays of Thanksgiving and Christmas. So that we actually enter into them and and the, the aspects of that just hangs with us through our lives. And so this is a great time for us to push back against that. To push back against that. And to know the power that comes from true Thanksgiving. True Christmas. Now, what is that power that we're talking about in this series? We're talking about the power of stewardship. We're talking about the power that can reform us and the power that can release us through two great powers. Let me tell you what those powers are. First of all, it's the power of God. It takes the power of God to break the world's mold off us, doesn't it? We can't do it. And it takes the power of our trust in him that he can do it and he wants to do it. The power of God and the power that we, the way we experience that is through trusting God. And so this, that's, our, that's our thoughts and that's our theme as we talk about faithful stewardship. Stewardship in the Bible is how we constantly break the mold of the world's grip on our hearts. By the power of God as our great Jehovah Jireh, our provider, and by trusting him that he will provide 
as we give ourselves in generosity, we are freeing ourselves from the madness of the materialism and the worldliness of the culture in which we find ourselves. Transforming power. Now, what is stewardship? Stewardship has to do with recognizing that we're not owners, we're managers. The Bible's pretty clear on who the only owner is, right? That's God. He says it's all his, and it is all his. He's creator. But in his great goodness, he shares with us his creation. He shares with us his stuff. And he allows us to use his stuff for our enjoyment, to have life, to know goodness, and to also to know him and experience him. So stewardship, we're talking about giving. It's important that we understand what God is about when he asks us to be good stewards of the things that he's given us. What's he about? What is God, when God tells us that he wants us to be generous people, he wants us to be giving people, what is God's plan? What's that all about? Well, let me give you this statement. And if there are any children here that are using the notes this morning, it's there at the bottom right. But here's this statement. Giving is not God's method of fundraising. Giving is God's method of faith raising. God doesn't need to get into the fundraising business. You know why? He doesn't need any. He doesn't need any. It's all His. So when God asks His people to give, it's not God's method of fundraising. What it is, it's God's method of faith raising so that we trust him, so that we know him. And so giving generously, therefore, is much more than a biblical principle. Listen carefully. Giving generously to God is life-changing privilege. It's not, it's not just a financial principle. It's a life-giving privilege as we give to God. Now, what I want to do this morning, just share with you, as we're talking about a stewardship reformation, I want to make sure that you understand the two great privileges that the Lord invites you to by being a generous person, generously giving to Him and to His cause. He invites you to two great privileges. Number one... He invites you to the privilege of experiencing Jehovah Jireh. He invites you to the privilege of experiencing Jehovah Jireh. Now, some of you know the name. Many of you know the name. We talked about last week. It's the name that Abraham gave to God. God Abraham named God this. When God... In his mercy, delivered Abraham's son, Isaac, 
as that sacrifice, you remember in Genesis 22, and provided the ram, Abraham said, I now know God like I've never known him before. I've never experienced God like this. I must name this place and name him. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He's the Lord who provides. He has, yes, provided the ram. He's provided the lamb. The ultimate provision. He did not spare his son. He spared Abraham's son. But he didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And if God did not spare his own son, Romans 8, 32, but delivered him up for us all, Paul says, Will he not then freely give us all things? Folks, if God was going to hold something back from you, what do you think he would have held back? His son. But if God's not holding back Jesus, he is not holding out on anybody. He's not that kind of God. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the Lord who provides. Provides. Now let me ask a question. If he is the Lord who provides, what does God want from you? If he owns it all and he's the Lord who provides, it begs the question, what does God want from you? Now, let's be clear again. He doesn't need anything from us. God is completely sufficient in himself. He is completely happy in himself. By his very nature, God does not and cannot need anything from any other source. If God needed anything from anybody, then he by his own definition would not be God. God can't need anything from anybody, ultimately. So if God doesn't need, he doesn't have needs, what does God want from you if he doesn't have needs? Here's the answer. He wants you. He wants you. God doesn't want your stuff. God wants you because he made you in his image. He loves you. He delights in you. He doesn't have, you don't have anything he needs. He has what he wants you to be able to have and experience. So this begs the question, and if you're drifting because you thought you're going to get an extra hour of sleep and you lied to yourself and you didn't, <laughs> why does God want you? I'm going to stop right here. Stop. This is the GPS of life. If you get this and it gets in your head, you have the compass for life. If you don't understand what I'm about to say, 
You do not have a compass for life. It's the answer to this question. Why does God want you? Here's the answer. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. The reason you were created, the reason you are in existence, the reason you are alive and will be alive is God's desire, his desire for you is for you to know him. Now, what's my authority for that? Jesus Christ. That's pretty high. (laughs) What did Jesus say? Jesus said in his prayer to the Father. He's talking to the Father. John 17, verse 3. And this is what he said. This is eternal life. Go to heaven when you die. Live a good life. See your kids grow up. Your grandchildren, your children's children. Is that eternal life? What is eternal life? What is life? Jesus said, this is eternal life. That they, human beings, might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is what God wants from us. That is His plan for you. He wants you in life and with Him for all eternity to be in a continual journey of knowing Him. Because God is so good, He is so good, He's got to share Himself. He doesn't need anything. But he loves to give. And he wants us to know him. Because to know him, because he is perfection. And he is the highest good. What is the ultimate good of our life then? To know him. Not just to know about him. But to know him. To know him. Mere knowledge does not mean here. No. It doesn't mean to know Bible verses only. It doesn't mean just to know doctrine, as important as all that is. To know God means that He's real in your life, that you experience Him, that He is a person. He is a holy, infinite person, and you can know Him and experience Him. That is life. That's life. He wants you to know him, experience him, enjoy him. So who is he? He's Jehovah. He he chose his own name, first of all. Moses said, who am I going to tell those folks? They're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to say, who sent you? And he said, tell them, I am. Say to them, I am that I am. I am has sent you. Yahweh. I am. I exist. I'm the real. I'm him. I'm the only one. Tell them the great, eternal, ever-present, ever-living one has sent me, sent you. Now, he wants you to know him as Jehovah Jireh. He wants you to know him 
in aspects of that. So God wants you to know him. So he wants you to know him as Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of the hosts, the host of heaven. He's the Lord of the hosts. He wants you to know him that way. He wants you to know him as Jehovah Sinkenu, the Lord, my righteousness. My righteousness is from God in Christ, not of my own works. I know him. I know Jehovah Sidkenu. He is my righteousness. I, I know God. I know Jehovah Nisi. He is my banner. I live my life under his name. He is my banner over me. He's Jehovah Nisi. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord who heals me. He heals my diseases. My spiritual, my physical diseases, my eternal need. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's the Lord, my peace. I know him. In the midst of all turmoil, I know Jehovah. He's my peace. He is Jehovah Rohi. He is the Lord, my shepherd. I'm, I'm not alone. I'm not wandering without help. I have a shepherd who loves me and cares for me. He's the Lord, my shepherd. And he wants you to know, know him, folks, as Jehovah Jireh. The Lord who will provide. He wants you to know that. Know him. To experience him as the Lord who provides for you. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know him as Jehovah Jireh. I want you to know him. I want you to know him again and again and again as Jehovah Jireh. And over the years that I've been blessed to be pastor here, one of the greatest joys of my life has been able to be able to hear and experience with others how Jehovah has been Jehovah Jireh for them. And you know, we've, we could have testimony after testimony of people sharing how God, they've provision, experienced God's provision. But I thought I'd just pause here for a moment because I heard one of the stories. I was reminded of one of the stories this past week. Very sweet story. And I'm going to have uh, Laura come at this time. Laura Jeans. Laura, are you here? Where's Laura? Laura, come if you would. And Doug's got a, I think he's going to bring a microphone. So come on right up, Laura. And... Uh, Laura's a dear friend, and uh, a number of years ago, just by God's grace, uh, as met and worshiped the privilege of seeing you come to know Jesus Christ. <laughs> I remember that, right? But uh, things were not always easy, and uh, you reminded me this past week of something I'd, I knew, but it kind of gotten shelved back there. And so, just share with the folks your story about Jehovah Jireh. Good morning. Pastor asked me if I would share a Jehovah Jireh story this week, and I love bragging on our God, and Pastor's right, I've known him just for a little while. I came to know him in 1987. <laughs> My father was killed. This is the 30th anniversary of his death, but in his death and through West Park and Pastor Sam, it's my 30th birthday in the Lord, so I'm thankful for that. In my fourth year in my journey with the Lord, my boys and I became a single parent family. They were three, six, and nine, Patrick, Colt, and Caleb. I wasn't a registered nurse then, 
We had a little apartment off Cedar Bluff, and we were struggling. Pastor was preaching that week on Jehovah Jireh, and we had came, come home from church, and the boys were hungry. They always were hungry. <laughs> and I remember one of them said, Mom, there's not even any peanut butter here. And I thought about what Pastor had been telling me, and he kind of made it simple for me, and he kind of said, you know, if God said it, he meant it, that settles it, so that's it. So I went to the boys, and I said, boys, we're going to pray about this. And they looked at me like, Mom, we're going to pray about peanut butter? And I said, yes, we are. And so we got on, they got on their knees, and we prayed, and I remember saying something like, God, I know you are who you say you are. I know you will do what you say you will do. And Lord, I thank you for these boys. And Lord, I pray right now for the peanut butter. And that was it. I didn't tell anybody. And we came to church Sunday night. And we were walking to the car. And the boys were getting in. And Caleb, who was three, he opened up the door. And I saw his eyes. And he was so excited. And I saw something in the front seat. And it was the largest jar of Peter Pan peanut butter you have ever seen. <laughs> My little boy, in his big blue eyes, he looked up at me and he said, Mommy, Jesus opened up heaven and peanut butter fell out. <laughs> <laughs> he is our Jehovah Jireh. Amen. Amen. Lord, just as I go, <laughs> peanut butter, right? Fell out. <laughs> you know, incredible. Um, but I, I have had thought, and I know this, what, I didn't even be prepared that. I told you, be prepared, but I might not be prepared. Okay, but so we are. I, I'm thinking about Caleb called. What has that meant to them over the years, do you think? They never forget it. Mm-hmm. They've never forgotten it. They right. told Lacey, who is our daughter, my daughter, she knows the story, and she thinks she was there. They'll never forget it. And, Laura, what's it meant to you? Because I know that some of this story of the years of uh, you know, struggling, but pressing on, and how am I going to get to the next place, even the education? What, what's that meant to you? What did that mean? What did you learn there? I learned from peanut butter that no matter what it is, no matter what my struggles, he will always make a way, and he will always take care of me, and he has. Amen. Amen. You experienced yes, sir. Jehovah I Jireh. Experienced Jehovah Amen. Jireh. God bless you. Lord, thank you. I can't tell you how much. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I'm sorry. I couldn't just skippy over that. Uh, I had to. I, sorry. Okay. I wanted to make sure that I planted that into your. You, okay. My friends, listen, God invites you to experience him. He invites you to experience him. In our text, I want you to see, it tells us how. How do you experience Jehovah Jireh? How, how do you experience him as Jehovah Jireh? What's, what's a way of that happening? Look at our text, Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. What does it have to do with generosity? What does it have to do with stewardship? What does giving have to do with God's channel of you knowing him? Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. 
It's his wealth, but he's put it in your hands. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, Proverbs is a book of principles. It it is principles for life that have attached to them promises. That's how you understand Proverbs. The entire book, when you read it, it's principles for life and promises that God has made to go along with those principles as you live those principles. Here he is given a principle a practice, and a promise of you experiencing him as Jehovah Jireh. Here's the principle. The principle is honor the Lord. Recognize who he is. Honor the Lord. He is your God. Recognize that he is master, great and good. Honor him. That is the principle. And out of that principle, he says, now practice this honor of me. And he says, do it this way. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your produce. He says, practice this in general. Recognize me. Honor me with what I have given to you. It's mine. I have given it to you freely. Now honor me. General. That's the general practice. Honor me. Don't leave me out of your wealth. Your possessions. Here's the specific. The specific practice. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And honor me with the first fruits of all you produce. Here's the practice. The practice is the way you honor me, God says, is this. And I will give it to you in the vernacular. You do not honor me when you bring to me your leftovers. If you take everything that I have given to you and you use it as you want to, and if there is anything left over, you give me the leftovers, that doesn't honor me. So he says, the way you will honor me is not to bring me your leftovers, but to bring me your first fruits. Out of what I give to you, Bring to me and trust me, honor me with your first fruits. He's talking about giving to him. Expression of worship and giving. Generosity, not leftovers, but the first fruits. And then he says, now here's the promise. Remember, principle, practice, then here's the promise. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, why does he say it like that? Because Israel was an agrarian economy. 
growing crops, growing vineyards. So the Lord says, as you bring me the first of your crops as an offering, and you bring me the first fruits of your vines, symbolic of all that is mine that I've given to you, look what's going to happen. Your barns, what are barns for? Crops. They will burst forth. They, they will be filled. And, and, and what are vats for? Vats are for capturing the juice of grapes. He says your, your, your vats will be overflowing with wine. What's he saying? He's saying, I'll provide for you. He's not saying this is an abuse. He's not saying you give me this much and I'll give you exponentially more this much. That's, it's not a, this is not a deal. This is not an investment. This is worship. He's saying you will see me provide for you. I'm Jehovah Jireh. That's my promise. And that's the reason when we have this Jehovah Jireh chest down here. You'll see it comes up on the screen. The Jehovah Jireh chest, what? With the ram's head. The ram crowned with thorns. Jehovah Jireh. God provides and he's the Alpha and the Omega. He provides from everlasting to everlasting. He provided for you in eternity past and he'll provide for you in eternity future. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides from all eternity. And he's shown it and made that provision in his lamb crowned with thorns, Jesus Christ. And the experience of a God who would do that, not spare his own son, is what? It's the promise as you honor me, as you honor me as Jehovah Jireh. Here's what's going to happen. Yes, you will have barns with plenty. And that's the reason on the side of this chest, there's the wheat. I had wheat engraved there. Your barns will be filled. He'll take care of that. And on the other side, there's a cluster of grapes. Your vats will overflow with new wine. It's taken from, this chest is taken from Jehovah Jireh, Genesis 22. Calvary's lamb and the promise of a God who cannot lie in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. And so today, I want to share this with you quickly. We can reclaim Thanksgiving. We can, in a new way, free ourselves as we generously give. And so we're going to have a tangible way of doing that here at West Park. Two weeks from today, we are going to receive a Thanksgiving offering. I've written to you. We've talked about it. Maybe you've not heard about it. But it's a Thanksgiving offering. It's two weeks from today on November the 29th. And I want to, I, it's an offering, <laughs> free offering. But I want to offer you three invitations. Could I offer you three invitations about this offering? Number one, number one, out of what I've just shared with you from God's word, I want to offer you this invitation. I invite you on that offering, on that Sunday, to honor God. I invite you to honor God. The first vision of this offering is to honor God. 
You know what makes me mad? There's a lot of things that make me mad. <laughs> Files of them. <laughs> but one that makes me mad is when people say, you know, money flows division. And so you got to give people a vision, something concrete, or, or they won't give. Oh. How about a vision of God? You got a bigger vision than that? How about a vision of a God, maker of heaven and earth, holy and unapproachable in his life and his light, who could cast us into hell forever and ever and be still as just as ever, but out of his great love spared not his own son, nailed him to a cross, poured out his wrath on his son who took our place, who endured our punishment, who rescued us from hell, who gave us life now and forever and guarantees us a home in heaven and enjoying him for all eternity. You think that's enough vision? You need a building to give? Do we need a mission project? Thank God for those visions and we're going to have them. But the first vision for giving is I am redeemed by this God who is mine and I am his and he is my Lord and I love him and he loves me. Wow. I invite you to experience him. That's my second invitation. I invite you to experience God. Experience his provision. Give and see God provide. Experience this. Listen carefully. Experience the joy of him. As he provides for you. As you pray about giving. And he provides for you to give. And you give it. And then as you're going to see how God provides for you and then how God uses what you have given of his back to him, you're going to know joy. The joy that comes from Jehovah Jireh. But now let me tell you, the joy you'll know of experiencing the Lord, that's not the half of it. That's not the half of it. I'm going to give you just a little particle of the rest half and then we'll continue next week. It's not the half of it. Here, let me say it again. It experience the joy. You're experiencing your joy of the Lord providing. It's incredible, but it's not half of it. I want to invite you to something else that stewardship does. It's the privilege of not just experiencing Jehovah Jireh, it's the privilege of expressing Jehovah Jireh. Of expressing Jehovah Jireh. Listen carefully. As we give, we experience the joy of knowing Him. Yes. But as we give, we experience an even greater joy. What could be a greater joy than knowing God? The greater joy than knowing God is making God known. There is no greater joy than being a part of making God known. And the goal of this Thanksgiving offering for us is the vision. It's a vision of making God known. 
making God known and the provision for the mission of our church. In particular, as we think about our community, to make God known more and more in this community where he has placed us to worship. We're on mission for him wherever we live, work, or play. Wherever we go, we're missionaries. If you don't think of yourself as a missionary, you're not thinking of yourself rightly. You are a missionary. You're a representative of the Lord. And where you go, you're living on mission. What I'm talking about is the mission to the very community where the Lord has placed us. To make him known in this community that we call our Cedar Brook. This Middlebrook and Cedar Bluff area, just a couple of miles from here, the 40,000 people that live within two miles of where you're seated. 40,000 people. 82% of them have no church home whatsoever. But make the Lord known in our community. And guess who we get to make him known to? We make him known to the poor in our midst. In our church and around our church. We make him known. We make him known to the widow. We make him known to the orphans. The hundreds and thousands of children who really don't have caring adults in their life. In our community. We make him known to the endangered. The perverts are preying on our children. We make him known as we reach out in love and we bring safety in Christ, in the gospel, and in community to these endangered ones. We make him known to victims of abuse and use, used up lives and abused lives. We make him known. We make him known to the hungry. We make him known to the afraid who have no security. We make him known. We make him known to the scarred ones, the abused ones. We make him known to those who are deceived. They don't, they don't even understand what life's about. They have all these issues. They need guidance and counseling. We make him known. We make him known to the lost who don't know they're sheep without a shepherd. We make him known. We make him known to the lonely. Twenty years ago, when Susan and I were about to adopt Stephen, we hadn't even gone over there yet to Romania. <laughs> we just had a picture. And I said, Lord, when I got that picture, we got that picture made, I said, Lord, I, I, I need to know. I need to know that this is the boy. So I started praying. And it came to my mind. While I was praying, right back here. Look at where you read this morning in the Bible. And so I went to a passage in Psalms that I'd read, and I'd read it in a translation I didn't usually read, but <laughs> I could, when I came back with that picture of that Romanian boy in my hand, and I looked at the scripture, here's what I read God is a father to the fatherless, and he makes a home. For the lonely. <laughs> that was enough. Got that, Lord. He's a father to the fatherless. He makes a home for lonely. That's God's heart. 
What is a church? Church is a home for the lonely. Church is a place where people can find home in Christ and home in community and have a home on which they can serve. That's our mission. I'm going to tell you more about that and I'm going to invite you to participate in that generously. But we begin with this offering as we give that we will be able to advance that by literally, literally, and this will be more to come, establishing from us a mission, a local mission to this community of the gospel of Jesus with people as missionaries, us as missionaries and people as missionaries, ministering to people the love of God in Christ with the gospel. That's the vision I have. And we have it as the church leadership. And we're going to share it with you. And so as we ask you to give, we're asking you to give to that vision as God continues to make it known. And I hope that you'll participate. I hope that you'll give generously as you're able to give. Give what God puts on your heart. Susan and I are praying about that. It's our desire, Lord willing, to give the most generous gift we've ever given. I'd like to invite you, perhaps, to consider that. Because the needs are great. The opportunity is huge. And God is awesome. And we get to experience Him. And we get to express Him.